host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet, where I bring you the best and brightest minds in the Amazon and e-commerce industry, bringing you actionable insights to help apply to your business today to scale your brands to the level you wanted to do it. That's why you got into e-commerce. That's why you got into uh, entrepreneurship. That's why you are here listening to this amazing podcast. Without further ado, before we get started, of course, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Ping Pong Payments. Again, Ping Pong Payments has now helped over a million customers worldwide scaling their brands uh, by saving money internationally by sending and receiving money in cross-border payments, whether it's paying out your suppliers, your manufacturers, your employees, your VAs worldwide, or if you're just selling on multiple marketplaces, whether it's on Amazon or Shopify or eBay, wherever you might be selling your goods as a brand, use Ping Pong Payments to help consolidate and make cross-border payments more effectively, save more money, put it towards your bottom line. That being said, you could sign up today in the for free in the show notes below, or you can, if you're listening to this, those will be in the show notes. If you're watching this live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, you can also sign up in the link provided in the comment section. Because this is live, ask your questions. Uh, go ahead and fire them away. Tell us where you're listening from. Tell us what you how your thoughts are. If you disagree, agree. This is an open forum. If you happen to be listening to us live, or if you want to just go ahead and connect with our guests or myself, you can do so again on social media. But all of our episodes are located on our website. Just check out usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast as well. That being said, now that that's off the table, again, I apologize yesterday for people who are looking for our episode. It's funny to know that the internet is has so many different effects on so many different ways of uh, in podcasting in general. And I just wanted to say because of the outage on Facebook and WhatsApp and uh, Instagram, it, it allowed me to not go live to any of those platforms and in turn it affected the platform we use for podcasting. So that being said, we actually moved that episode to Thursday this week. Uh, that would be October, gosh, today would be October 5th. So that would be October 7th. So if you're looking for that episode, that's going to be actually after that. So 163 will come after 164. Just work with me, people. It's a, it's a live, living, breathing organism that we're working with, especially in e-commerce. You have to pivot as we go and say in the industry. So that being said, this episode, um, as you saw in the introduction, how a million dollar brand becomes a $10 million brand. That is something that we're going to be talking about today. And of course, like uh, I like to think that you hear all the great stories of putting sweat equity into business. You put, you come up with a fantastic idea. You come up with a, a killer name, you trademark it. You uh, find your 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 group, your people, your loyal following. You get it to that level of great. I made it to a million dollars. Now what? That, that that's a lot of people. That's a question that a lot of people get to that market. If they truly are trying to build a scalable brand, that that is the kind of mentality of now we've got some sort of success behind ourselves. How can we make that scale to the next level? And again. 1 million to 10 million, it, it can be any sort of number. It could be two to six, or it can be 10 to 50. It can be any sort of number that you yourself as an entrepreneur or e-commerce brand are trying to come up with. But how do you take that next step, that next level? Well, we're going to talk about today. And again, as we alluded to it in kind of uh, the introduction, we're going to be talking with not just entrepreneur and founder of an agency, but he is also a podcaster himself, so we'll get lots of insight from him. His name is Chase Clymer of Electric Guy, and him and his team, he's actually been in the space um, for uh, shop. Him and his team actually are create Shopify-powered sales machines from a strategic design, development, marketing decisions. 
Like I said, he's also a host of the podcast Honest E-Commerce, which is weekly. They provide online store owners with honest, actionable advice to increase your sales and grow their business. So, of course, if you're a friend of the show and you love listening to this podcast, you want to make sure that you subscribe to that podcast as well. Without further ado, going ahead and kick off this episode with the one and only Chase Clymer of Electric Eye. Chase, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, so uh, before we get started, where are you tuning in from? Where Where's your base of operations? What what uh not basement or what what uh what area are you from uh, if you if you are I, I would prefer to be in the basement and maybe it'd be a little bit cooler <laughs> um no right. so we are a we are a fully remote agency but funny enough almost all of us are here in Columbus Ohio uh so really? that would, I guess would be okay. the the home base of operations would be here in Columbus um but uh yeah we went fully remote like about three months before uh covid was even a term that i had heard um so we really? luck we okay. lucked out a little bit there um because it didn't really affect us as much because we were putting a lot of work in place um before that to basically be like remote first as like kind of a business decision um with that being said like we are looking at getting another office but it's like just for to get out of the house somewhere to have internet if yours goes out of you know if it goes out of whack not nothing mandatory at all but uh yeah we put a lot of work into those processes making remote first like whatever and like with that being said like our project manager was down in guatemala for like three weeks and you wouldn't even know that's amazing well i think there's so many fascinating story stories like that and it was cool that you guys went that route before even um again people were quote unquote forced to. And I think that it's changed this culture. There's been a lot of articles articles that have come out recently that is that honeymoon period over or people really want to get back to the office. And again, that's that's kind of an evolving process. But Columbus, Ohio, uh, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we're just a hop, skip and jump on I-70 um, to each other. So that being said, that, that's really cool that you guys are remote first um, as an agency. What, what, what did you do before that? Were you always in e-commerce or did, did you kind of find your way there? Oh man, I've been in digital marketing probably for 12 or 13 years, which most people wouldn't believe. Um, so once upon a time, I was in a touring band and being in a band <laughs> is fantastic. You get to see the country, you get to make some really, really cool connections and people that are going to be, you're going to be friends with for life. Uh, but it doesn't pay your bills unless you're really doing it the right way. So the whole time I was in the band, I was freelancing. I was doing layout designs for a magazine. They asked for help with the website. I started learning website stuff. Then I picked up a few other clients and I was building their websites. And now they're like, I need help with marketing. So the whole time I was touring, I was cutting my teeth in the digital space, learning the ins and outs of all this stuff. Um, fast forward, uh, you know, the, the band was, you know, we decided to, to hang it up. Uh, and uh, so I had all of this background and experience in digital. So I kind of went all in on that. Uh, and I was like a professional freelancer uh, for a couple of years. Um, and then uh, eventually my business partner, uh, who funny enough, we met from when I was in the band. Me and him designed the album art of my band's first two albums together. That's literally how we met. Uh, he was uh, he was saying, hey, man, I've got all these clients on Shopify and I need help with marketing. And you know how Facebook ads work. Like, I think we can do something here. Um, and then next thing you know, like we like had six or seven retainer clients and, you know, we pulled a name out of a hat and it was more like a list of names that we decided upon. Uh, and then electric guy was born. Oh my God. First and foremost, we got to know 
what instrument were we playing or were you the singer i was i was playing bass in the band they were lucky i wasn't the singer slapping the bass okay and yeah. the name of the band was uh it's for everyone to google because i never give it away <laughs> oh okay well we'll leave that as a cliffhanger like, for, i'll leave for them one more but the album art yeah, is exactly. in the background of my video for anyone that has a keen eye there you go okay well uh we'll have to keep in kind of from there so kind of kind of by not by force but almost kind of all these people are you were learning along the way you had some time on your hands as you're traveling because obviously it's a you know going from city to city traveling around on bus or uh van or whatever that might be so you're learning along the way this was back in what like what era or like where i say era what what time period is this back when myspace was still a thing is when i was still doing like learning stuff uh myspace kind of stopped being a thing as uh i kind of the band was was wrapping up um what i was doing more often back then i was i was, I was doing more wordpress projects to be honest i was working a lot more with service-based business um which is super hilarious because all of those skills translated over to starting my own business a few years later, uh, you know, because obviously I own an agency and that's service. So all those things are, are definitely very translatable. But um, uh, at the beginning, um, when we were kind of getting things started with with Electric Eye, I will tell you that I was kind of scared of e-commerce, mostly because I was scared of, you know, with WordPress, at least my history, my, my, my understanding of, of, you know, payments and, and whatnot was, you know, there's a lot more going on there. And, you know, one misplaced semicolon could like ruin someone's entire day and like they wouldn't make any sales and it'd be my fault. And I didn't want to take that responsibility. Enter Shopify. And I was like, in there checking things out. And then I immediately was just like, well, this thing's fantastic. I can't break it. Let's run. That's true. Well, and that's the thing. I think that's kind of like surprised a lot of people. I come back from, again, I, this was 2014 and 15. So um, for the Amazon world, I always call it, you know, the beginning of the Wild West era of like anything goes, you throw it on there, it sells, so on and so forth, as long as you're competent, have a listing, you you get you get the information out there um, and anyone could sell it. But back in 2014 and 15, um, I was using Magento and I had no idea as well. So I remember learning from our team of maybe two or three and our developer. And he said, if you press these buttons or you click save, or if you press publish, this is, you will break these websites. So they put me in a sandbox basically on the back end. And I had that same fear chases of, uh, if I, if I created something and, or if I created a coupon code and it was really hundred percent off instead of 10, or I put that extra zero at the end, that was really going to get me in trouble in terms of sales. And you can't take that back. It's not something you can say, actually, that's not the price. Uh, whatever is in the cart is in the cart, and that digital transaction is going to happen. Also, broken websites because of so much traffic. So, I definitely relate in terms of of that that kind of uh, comp competency in terms of. But Shopify for people who may not have dipped their toes into it, like what is the you say you can't break it, or it's almost like so simple. Is that really what draws a lot of people to it? Uh, like across the board, and why you're hearing so much about it is just the simplicity of it, or in the custom ability of it or the ability to customize it is that what really draws people to it ultimately um i think that well historically what drew me to it isn't the same thing that it makes it a power player in the game today 
Um, what drew me to it back then was obviously uh, ease of use, and it definitely uh, made it a lot easier for someone that's... I'm not a developer by trade. You know what I mean? I, if I was to say what I'm the best at, it's probably strategy. Um, and so when I was... When we were getting the agency started, uh, we weren't uh, as custom as we are now uh, with kind of the development side of things. But uh, that none of that really matters. Let's fast forward to now. What's good about Shopify now, right? So there are a bunch of different platforms out there. Um, you've got your marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, Etsy, and all that stuff. Those are a completely different style of business than you know owning, to building a brand, and selling direct to your own customer. Um, so when you're going that route, you can build it on any platform that you want. I'm just going to save you a lot of work. Start on Shopify and you're not going to regret it. Any limitation out there that someone is telling you exists about Shopify is a limitation that's in their own mind. You can do any sort of customization that you want with Shopify. They are rapidly expanding all of the API like endpoints. So you can on honestly do whatever you want within Shopify. You know, with all that said, it's like, is what you want to do on Shopify even something you should be doing on Shopify? That's usually where people aren't making any sense. Like Shopify is built specifically for the direct consumer model. You're selling a product to an end customer. Like anytime you get further and further away from that simple, simple statement, you're getting further and further away from Shopify being the right platform for you. But everybody's trying to put a square peg into a round hole and then say the platform sucks, which is just you're trying to break it with your idea. Right. So is that maybe the hardest part of e-commerce for for a customer or client if they're coming to you and they're saying, I want to do this. And ultimately, you just have to say why, like almost keep it simple, stupid of people know what they want or when they come to your product or page or product and they find you, ultimately, you want to make that as seamless of a transition as possible from getting it to um, that click to the cart for, and have them check out as quickly as possible. Is that really the hardest part is to kind of almost try to dumb it down for people instead of having them create those intricacies, if you will? I mean, if you're a startup, and I'm going to say a startup is like anywhere from zero to a million dollars a year, uh, you are probably overcomplicating way too many things. Like you don't need a custom theme when you're that young of a business. You don't need an, a crazy feature, custom like user experience when that you're that that young of a brand. What you need to do is you need to invest all of your time and energy and excess capital into marketing and advertising and building out a sales flywheel that actually will propel your business to the next level. All of the other stuff doesn't matter. Uh, people that are like like just rigidly like watching their KPIs when they're a brand that small, like it doesn't matter. Like if at a million dollars a year, if you're like watching your conversion rate and like trying to make assumptions on like decisions you're making on your website, all of that is, is your gut feeling it. There's no, you can't get a st statistical uh, significant like result from CRO uh, at doing a million dollars a year, unless you have just the world's lowest AOV and your sales are through the roof. But now I'm getting a little more like controversial. <laughs> but like basically, you need a lot to to do actual conversion rate optimization. You need conversions, and then you need a lot of conversions to say that the one choice was actually better. And that is very rare for a million dollar a year business to even get any any kind of data like around that. Um, the coffee just kicked in, and I'm like going off on tangents. So I apologize. No, we're good. I'll no, answer your good. question we can, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'll answer your question. What's the hardest part of e-commerce? I don't think it's the technology choice at all. People make that harder than it should be. And hopefully, you know, by the content I put out and yourself and all of your other guests, like I feel like we're just trying to point people in the right direction. It's like, just make a choice, move on. Like that stuff doesn't matter for a long time. Um, but what is the hardest part of e-commerce, which is what I believe a lot of entrepreneurs do mistakenly, is they they just they launch and then they go, why isn't selling? Uh, because they never put in work about vetting the product and seeing if they had product market fit. That is truly the hard, hardest part of e-commerce is, uh, is getting that kind of hard to describe intangible product market fit thing. It's like it's a thing where you know it when you have it, but when you don't, it's just you can't figure out how to grasp it. Uh, but some tricks I've learned along the way from interviewing a lot of founders that have gone through that struggle um, and just kind of my experience in the, in the industry is it literally always starts with interviewing the people that are buying from you and asking them all about what what it is that they enjoy about your product and then interviewing the people that aren't buying from you and asking them why they're not buying your product um sometimes it comes down to positioning or the offer involved or a bunch of other things that you don't know uh because you're not your customer that's something that a lot of people need to understand you are not your customer so you need to ask your customer what they are thinking to then market things better for those ideal customers. Absolutely. Well, that, that was kind of the funny thing too, is um, I gave this point of, I gave this talk yesterday, believe it or not, I said the sneaky ways of, of like adding to your business uh, and, and being profitable and adding to the bottom line. <clears throat> and I just said simply, a lot of people, believe it or not, are customers that are trying to be entrepreneurs. At the end of the day, they're just starting their business, whether they're going to lose every single time they make a sale. And what I mean by that is their their product costs are too high. There is no market fit. So they're literally sitting on an inventory that is not not being sustainable or not at the velocity of what they need it to be. Their advertising costs are way too high. All these different things that at the end of the day, just bare minimum, they can't sell this product to make a profit. So what you were telling me is that it, it it's it's one of those things that I'm, I'm kind of losing kind of the point I'm getting to is it, it it's kind of fascinating that it's people are not looking at the product fit and like the solution that this product will yield. Correct. It's, it's so simplistic in that route, in that realm of what is my product trying to achieve? Is it trying to make me feel a certain way or to fix a problem or what, what's the ultimate North star? And they kind of lose that. It's just, Hey, I think that there's a keyword search that's high keyword search. Um, I'm going to create a product that fits into that category and I'm going to sell a ton. Well, it doesn't differentiate itself. And that's kind of that next le level of how is it going to separate itself from every other thing out there? Is that more or less what you're trying to say? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I think it's just people, pe people, it's, it's entrepreneurs and it's younger entrepreneurs. They uh, tend to focus more on products and things that don't matter, like the website design or their app stack um where they need to be focused on the product and the customers more so they need to focus on where are those customers how can i get in front of them how can i get their feedback how can i use that feedback to iterate upon my product so i can start to build up this flywheel to where the goal and you know where here's like a a, um, a litmus test of whether or not you have product market fit is are strangers on the internet buying your product it's it's pretty much that simple 
you know, not your dad, not your brother. It's like literal people you've never met. Are they giving you their hard-earned money to buy your product? And at that point, then you're probably onto something and you should start to double down on what's working. Right. So in that regards, what is what is that next step? Um, we were talking about, hey, maybe I found that product. Strangers are starting to buy it, whether I'm on Amazon, whether I'm on uh, my own website, and I'm starting to see results come in, right? You said a startup is anywhere from zero to $1 million. So I'm still a startup, but I've achieved that top, that ceiling, if you will, of a startup success. That That's a lot of hard work, and we're not mitigating like the hard work it takes to get there. But I think that next kind of jump, if you will, is where a lot of people either get lost or they're not sure, where do I turn? Like, how do I make this scalable? How do I make it enhanced? What, what is that thing that that you tend to tell either your customers or listeners or anything like that. What do you what do you think it is that takes that brand from one million to ten and scalable? Yeah, absolutely. So for the sake of this, the, the next step of this conversation, we're going to assume that um, you know a, a couple of years or maybe a year, if you're really really good at this, have gone by and you're starting to get some KPIs going to where you know you're projecting roughly a million dollars a year, right? That's just an arbitrary number because people love the, the word million dollars. This you could do the same process um, at less of a scale or at, at more of a scale, you know, as far as kind of velocity goes in, in revenue. Um, but we're just going to use a million because it's easy, right? So um, let's now dive into the answer of that question: How do brands go from one million dollars a year to ten million dollars a year? Data and strategy. That's it. You guys can end the podcast. We're done. Uh, but no, <laughs> let's, 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 let me tell you why. All right. So that's it folks. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. So uh, we'll it's in and that's it. <laughs> there are some certain KPIs that drive e-commerce businesses. Uh, there's three of them actually that matter. So there's three KPIs that truly matter to drive uh, an e-commerce business, right? So it is your conversion rate, your average order value and your sessions, right? And you're going to take a look at these numbers. We look at the numbers at the agency over the last 30 days. Unless you've got a really sporadic sales calendar uh, where it's like heavily in one certain place, uh, then maybe do a, an average over the last 12 months. But we usually just do the last 30 days. And um, so you take the average order value for the last 30 days, you take your conversion rate for the last 30 days, then you multiply it by the sessions that you had in the last 30 days. And when you multiply them all together, you get your sales for the last 30 days basically, because that's math, right? So now you've got a baseline, right? So why does that matter? So you got a baseline here with three KPIs that output your top level sales. So let's drill into each of those KPIs and talk about what they really mean and why they're important and why this, this simple equation is going to change how you think about e-commerce and how you're going to scale your business. So the first one that I mentioned there, right, is conversion rate. Uh, people oftentimes really, you know, this is a number people really want to manipulate, and that's fantastic. It is a big lever. Um, I would say it's probably the second hardest lever to pull in e-commerce to really to really do something. Um, but let's start talking through like an example here, right? So, Ryan, you have a widget company, and you guys are doing pretty good, and you're, you know, you're you're basically doing a million dollars a year in sales, right? So in the last thirty days, you had a two percent conversion rate. Your average order value is seventy five bucks. And you're getting around sixty thousand sessions a month, right? You know, some real simple data. You multiply all those things together. You're doing about ninety k a month in monthly sales. You're doing about a million dollars a year in sales, right? It's ten eighty for the the math guys out there. Um, I also have a spreadsheet in front of me that makes this really easy. So <laughs> Chase Chase is cheating on his test uh, that yeah. he's giving. So we're we're good. 
Yeah, memorizing how these work is uh, a goal of mine eventually, so I can <laughs> rattle this off without a spreadsheet. But you know, for the time being, I have a spreadsheet, and anyone you can get the spreadsheet off me. Just email me, and I'll give you the spreadsheet. Um, you so uh, now let's kind of dive into your conversion rate. Your conversion rate is two percent, right? So let's make some you know hypothetical statements about your widget company. Um, for the last year, you've done exactly what I might, I recommended, which was you focused purely on trying to get people through the door. You kind of let the website take a back burner. You guys used an off-the-shelf theme that you found that you liked that was a good enough solution for the time being. Um, but you know, because you can also look at some other data, like you're like, yeah, the website's definitely slow, especially on mobile. We can see a huge difference between mobile conversion rate and our desktop conversion rate. Uh, we know that our customer journey is a bit clunky because while this is a responsive theme, this journey wasn't built like for our customers to do our our thing, especially on mobile. Like, you know, you see a lot of a lot of area of opportunity um, from your data to like, yeah, I think if we invested in the website and we improved uh, the customer journey, we made it faster, we made it, you know, make more sense. Uh, you know, we can see a, a, a jump to the conversion rate, right? So let's just say that that whole thing is a home run because you hire the best, you know, the best team you can afford, or you guys just like have that on lock in house. So you put all this time and money and uh, and invest in improving the conversion rate. So now you've jumped your conversion rate from two percent to three percent, right? But nothing else in your business has changed, right? What that's going to do is that's going to take your monthly sales from ninety thousand a month to one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars a month, and that's a half a million dollar improvement on just focusing on one KPI, right? Right. So that lever is hard, uh, and it is doable. Uh, but the next one, I think, is the one that most people overlook, and it's probably the easiest to actually improve at times. Um, so that is the average order value. Uh, the average order value is actually like an insanely large driver of revenues. And it's uh, it's as simple as this to increase your average order value, right? Bundles, cross-sells, and upsells. It's it's that simple. And I, you know, I don't know why anyone else is trying to make it any harder. Think about your customer, think about your products, and think about what more would help them what is what goes well with that product. You know what I mean? So this is where you got to get a little more hypothetical. So Ryan's widget company, it lends itself to actually like, you're going to use more of these widgets because they're so sweet. So um, Ryan invents a, a really awesome kind of widget bundle builder where you get, you know, you buy three widgets for a certain deal uh, and the experience is great. And now that's built in their new website, right? So that ricochets, they're $75 ricochet increases. Uh, that increases their $75 average order value to like up around a hundred bucks, right? So just that improvement alone, let's pretend the conversion rate never changed and all they did was focus on that, right? So that's going to increase things about $400,000 a year. You know what I mean? It takes it from 90k a month to about a buck 21 a month, right? So, you know, those are two different strategies that you can use to kind of increase things. But this is where most brands go first, which is actually the third step that I'm talking about, which is sessions, right? I'm sure you know where I'm going here. It's it's paid traffic. Right. It, it's it's own more marketing. people. Yeah, yeah. More people, Everyone's more like sales. I want more sales. They want to go straight to media buying, which is a way to do it. But 
uh, let's say you went straight to media buying and you didn't focus on those other KPIs and you invested all of your budget into you know doubling your amount of traffic per year, which is A, doable and B, about as much as you want to do. You never really want to have your, your mix be more paid than it is organic because things start to get a little weird. Um, but let's say that you, you do that, right? You double your traffic. Everyone, I think, should know this, that your sales will double, right? If everything else stays the same, your sales will double. You know, The sad part about it is your conversion rate will actually go down a little bit because all this new traffic isn't as familiar and it's not going to convert as well at that historical rate. Um, but you know, you're still making another million dollars a year and you just focus there. But what if you did this the way that I'm proposing and the way that we do for all of our clients and the way that I tell everyone to do is you focus on the other KPIs first. You focus on making that experience as amazing as possible. So you try to get that conversion rate from 2% to 3% or whatever your starting point is to a, the best position you can get it. Um, and then you also focus on making the journey... The, within the customer journey, you have these upsell, cross-sell, and bundling opportunities that make sense. Right, and it, it it feels helpful because I'll I'll break it down for you. People like to buy, but they don't like to be sold. So when the experience on their website, it feels like they're getting taken advantage of, and it's maybe it's jarring. It takes them out of the whole shopping experience because it's just like some pop up that's a different color, different fonts, seems clunky. You know that's not going to really work. But if you invest the time and energy and you do it the right way to where this feels natural and I feel like they're actually helping me, um, you will see raises to your average order value. So you did that as well. So you focused on the conversion rate, you focused on the average order value, you made improvements to your user experience, you made improvements to your offer, and then you go and focus on improving your sessions, which is, you know, the usually people are doing this through paid ads, Facebook, Google, let's be real, that's what they're doing. Um, but if you do this in the order that I'm proposing here, you're going to see an increase of your monthly sales go from $90,000 a month to $364,000 a month. That's a 300% improvement. So now your yearly sales are about a million dollars a year going up to $3.2 million a year. So you're looking at like a, a realistic 3x improvement because right. these three KPIs are compounding when you do the work on each of them independ individually. So I just ranted for a good 20 minutes, I think. Ryan, questions? No, I was going to say, it's out, it was only 10. We're good. No. <laughs> and uh, that, that's the beauty of like being able to look at a clock. No, all makes sense. And I think it's super valuable. This is why I didn't interject is because numbers don't lie at the end of the day, following data ultimately will lead you to success. You, you have to know your numbers inside and out. And that's kind of what I alluded to earlier is knowing your numbers in terms of what your spend is, what your, your product cost is, but then also knowing just traffic to your, to your website. Like I said, uh, you can look at sessions, you can look at um, paid media, you can look at abandoned cart rates, you can look at all that stuff in those tools that we alluded to through Shopify, through Amazon, all these kinds of things. Amazon's a little bit more protective data, but um, on your own website, you can see how many people are uh, abandoning carts or what their average order size. This is just simple math and these are spreadsheets. Like I say, you can reach out to Chase and he'll connect you with simple uh, math building skills of this is the sheet, this is how you build it out and this is how you compound it. It all makes sense. I think that you're right. The number one thing that I hear a lot of people is, is I want more eyeballs and I want more conversions. Therefore, I'm going to make my spend larger to get their eyeballs onto my website so that that conversion rate just stays true. They don't work on the conversion itself, like the rate at which you are converting. That doesn't come first. And then the average order 
or per that customer or how many widgets that customer is purchasing, they don't focus on that either. So per transaction, the things that you can actually have a hand in without spending money is those kinds of two areas, which I think is super important that you said. So once you build that and optimize those, that's where the more, obviously, if you double the amount of people that come to your website, then that in theory, again, math uh, should double the amount of conversions you're talking about or triple or whatever you're doing. So it all makes sense to me. Um, why aren't people doing it? That's the question. Because, uh, I well, there's a few reasons, right? It's because I believe that there are consultants out there that will just take people's money and do what they say, which works sometimes. It's not the way that we run things at Electric Eye. We are very honest. We're very consultive. Uh, and we want to make sure it'll make sense. Like We're going to look at these numbers before we even start the engagement. And we're going to be like, look, this is where you're at. Like We don't think this is a worthwhile investment for you. And here's why. Or you know, some people are too young in the game and we have referrals off into our network, like go work with these people on these things, you know, maybe hopefully we'll see it next year and it will make more sense. Um, I think a lot of people get, uh, just kind of wrapped up in like the, all the super winning case studies that they've seen about Facebook ads, like, you know, $10,000 made me a million dollars that that'll never happen again. Everybody, the costs are through the roof. Facebook, you can't even report on that stuff anymore. They can hardly keep their servers online as of today. You know, uh, you're not going to see any sort of crazy wins on Facebook and Google. Like that's that's akin to like waiting for your product to go viral, as opposed to having a strategy that's based in reality. Um, you're probably looking at working with a really good media buyer. Five x return on ad spend is 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 probably like something that you should be thankful for, because uh, you can manipulate those numbers any way you want. Like if, if you only want to return on ad spend, that's like crazy numbers. Fine. Let's just not do any prospecting, but that's not good for the long term of your business. You know what I mean? If you're not acquiring new customers, you're going to burn out all of your existing customers. And that's not a good strategy either. Um, so I think what it comes down to, like why aren't brands more brands doing this is just lack of education on it. Let's, let's be real. E-commerce is still kind of in its infancy. Like we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of amazing entrepreneurs in investing and building businesses online these days versus kind of other uh more traditional outlets and it's really cool getting a lot of cool minds out here working together um and just so hopefully i'll kind of pivot to just this 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 concept here which is i don't need to do this for you you don't need to hire my agency anyone can do this themselves it, it's just really simple and it, it just the simplicity of e-commerce makes this this framework really powerful it's like once you kind of get to that certain threshold, investing in your website, more importantly, investing in that user experience, making it fast, making it its best foot forward, making it have these kind of built-in offers to try to motivate more to get in the cart will always be a better investment than dumping all of your money into paid advertising first. Right. Well, that, that's that's... So there's two schools of thought that I kind of come out with that. And I think that's hundred percent. I sympathize with that. And I think that's hundred percent correct when building and directing consumer brand. I also think that a lot of people, when they they're building these brands nowadays, like the easiest way to do it. And again, the pros and cons that we always highlight on the show is go where, go where eyeballs are essentially uh, it's built in traffic. That's why people create brands on Amazon. Um, they go and they optimize for keyword traffic. They stand out and then, in turn, what they have to do actually is to pour lots of money into advertising. And that's to launch products. That's to 
um, rank products that's that's to fight the good fight with those eyeballs. And then on the other hand, I look at direct to consumer. I don't have to fight the good fight necessarily. I just have to drive traffic to my website that are more like minded and are ready to opt into my product, my solution, stand out on their own. Excuse me. And I I see I see the 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 two of building a brand, not power versus actually just fighting to stand out to a crowd in that power. So I, I see I see the conflicting nature of both of what we had just discussed is it, it's really hard to do that on a platform like an Amazon, but mm-hmm. on other other platforms like your own, that's actually the easiest way to actually have control over to have control over all of those different um, levers, if you will. So I guess in theory, is that is that just the nature of the ease of launching products or brands? If if I if I'm an entrepreneur, come to you and I say, hey Chase, I have this great idea, runs widget company. I don't know where I should go to. I don't know if I should start my own website and on Shopify and then not know how to drive traffic to that. Or should I go to a platform like on Amazon where I know that it's built in, there's this micro niche, I can kind of optimize it from there and kind of go that route. Do you do you have clients that approach you in that regards or does that happen at all? Anymore? That's a, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll make it a little bit of simpler of an ask. Should I start my business on Amazon or should I start my business on like my own platform, like a Shopify? Right. Um, if someone was to ask me that question, I would probably say uh, test your product on Amazon to get some real time feedback real fast uh, to see if people actually give a hoot about your product. Um, and then if it does work there. Then I would say, okay, it's a little more vetted. Maybe maybe it's worthwhile investing in turning a product into an actual brand because those are two different things. If your product at the end of the day is like a widget that's very commoditized, I probably wouldn't say focus on being a brand. Like maybe maybe you just catch lightning in a bottle and you make some great sales on Amazon while it lasts, and you use that for you know the next great idea you have. Like there's nothing wrong with that business model. Um, but uh, the p- brand building in like actually focus on you know building something more that's just a pro- more than just a product. That's how you can charge you know way more for these things as opposed to on Amazon and most other marketplaces. It, it is potentially a race to the bottom because I'm not going on Amazon and you know searching for uh, Louis Vuitton handbags. You know that's not where I'm going to buy that. But if I am, if I just need a, a fanny pack, sure. I'm going to go on there. I'm going to buy the cheapest one. That's got good reviews. You know what I mean? They're, they're, those are two different mindsets. Right. Well, that that's why I think the ecosystem and because I have lots of guests who talk about this building a brand on Amazon, I think it's, it's, it's still one of those things in its infancy where it's almost, it's very difficult to do. I think like you said, a lot of people go to that channel to either get something quick or to get something as inexpensive as they can. Um, you know, when they say like Ryan's widgets in front of that product, that doesn't really mean too much to too many people where if I just took that and I put it, um, if I just showed a person a picture of that product, they would never say that brand. They would just call it the product. Um, but when you call, I'm just thinking off the top of my hand, like things like solo stove or something right now of, stands alone. Um, I see these things pop up in all these social ads. Um, it's something that actually has a name to it. And if I put that picture in front of me of that product, 
that brand name actually resonates with me because that's how they built it. They, it wasn't on it, an Amazon website, or, or at least not to my knowledge, but they have that name tied to the product in itself. It's not like it's standalone fireplace uh, uh, extreme or whatever they mm -hmm. want to call it. it. It's something that has a name that's tied to it. And that's why I think the, the, the conflict between having this brand framework, if you will, of how do I do it on either of these two platforms? I think it's actually honestly easier on a direct to consumer platform. The testing, like you mentioned, of if a product's gonna be successful can actually be done quicker on Amazon too. And that's where a lot of eyeballs and conversions are happening too. Um, so when, when when a client's coming to you and you have that conflict or that that, that kind of that story with them or they're they're kind of torn between the two. Is there something that you you see as more of a, a selling point where they're like, no, I get that. I think that's why I want to work with my direct-to-consumer site instead of on Amazon. Is, is there is there one thing that really pushes them to one side or another that really makes a brand or an entrepreneur really say, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'll, I'll do it this way. I mean, no, there's not like one way. There's no not one right way to do it. Like there's a million ways to start your business and to run your business and, and you can make whatever choices you want to make. I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and brand owners over the last five or six years. And they've been they've done it all sorts of different ways. Some businesses started Amazon first, uh, did not like the amount of risk that business model had them incur, i.e. Amazon mm -hmm. is in full control. So then they started to invest in the direct consumer model. Uh, kind of using the the profits from the Amazon first to kind of drive that. Um, on the other side of things, I've seen people do direct consumer first. And then once that model was really efficient, uh, they added in Amazon uh, in some more strategic ways to increase velocity and brand awareness. Uh, Amazon could be considered almost akin as like getting into like a Target or a Walmart at some times to like for brand velocity. So if you got like a product that would really really uh help from like hitting certain economies of scale like there's nothing that's going to help you scale faster than like a, a marketplace that's as insane as as amazon um and then you know there's people that uh, they, they try to start both first and then they kind of you know they go you know what this one isn't working out and they shutter it and they get off one of the platforms and just go all in on another like it really comes down to your product the types of customers you're trying to sell it to and you kind of like what's your positioning and what's your offer right Ultimately, that's why any business or entrepreneur is in business uh, for those kinds of reasons. So, Chase, uh, let me kind of take a step back and kind of ask uh, a different thing. Uh, were you ever a, did you ever sell online as a brand or do you currently sell or are you still, um, you operate your own brand underneath uh, online or sell any products on Amazon? Um, I have not d done anything on Amazon beyond like I got a seller account once and, you know, I was flipping like some books but wasn't anything too crazy i learned enough to like understand the the, the technology a bit more but like mm -hmm. i kind of have since put on blinders to amazon and just really focused on like i know shopify extremely well and i'm gonna stay in my lane uh to answer your question no i don't have a serious brand that i run in the background or anything like that and it's it comes down to that question well that statement that i said before which is the hardest thing to do in e-commerce is find product market fit. You really need to focus on it and you need to do it. And it needs to be like a big consideration to kind of figure that out. And 
you know, until those numbers are working, I, you know, it doesn't make really sense to, to focus on it. And I'm extremely good at helping brands that have already found that get to that next level. Um, you know, if, if starting a business and starting a brand was as easy as kind of some of the things I'm saying here on this call, like, why would I be on this call? Why wouldn't I have started a dozen brands and done this a million times and be sipping martinis on the beach right now? Like that first key piece of the puzzle, finding product market fit, finding a product that resonates with consumers, that is extremely hard. And like, you know, that's just not something that I want to focus on. Like I, I build an agency that helps brands that already have that. And we are doing insanely good things for them. So that's why I'm going to invest my time. Right. So in that regards, not doing it yourself. And again, this is something I, I grapple with too. And a lot of people know that um, selling on Amazon and selling direct consumer, <clears throat> excuse me, two separate things. I, I was fortunate enough to actually sell on behalf of another person. And that's where my experience come from. Do you ever think that when you talk about those things, or I guess I, this is a two prong question, I guess, of why, why go blind to just Amazon and only focus on Shopify? And then two, do you, do you feel like not building a brand yourself and saying like, oh, well, I did this myself. Do you feel like you're, this is not a, a great question, but do you feel it like you're, you're preaching to people who maybe they look at you and say, well, you haven't done it yourself. How do you know? Does that make sense? Like almost like imposter syndrome, but not, but not truly. Yeah. Okay. So first question first, uh, no, I don't think I'm like going in blind or, or, or like, I, it's more that we as an agency understand the power of niching down and we are truly Shopify experts. And we have testimonials of all of our customers saying these guys know exactly what they're talking about when it comes to Shopify. But we also are very honest when they're like, do you know about this this thing that tangentially relates to Shopify? And we're usually like, I know. We don't know about it. It's like, you know, would you like us to learn and we can figure it out together? Or would you like us to like connect you to someone in our network that might know it? Um, we're very, very, very good at the thing we do. And then we draw lines in the sand, like, no, we don't, those things aren't worth us learning. We don't want, need to build SLPs around that. We don't want to have, you know, I mean, that really, that's really where it comes down to is like, I don't want to have an SOP built out to do the same thing six dozen times because we're good at six dozen platforms. That's six times more work. Or we can just be extremely good at Shopify and solve those problems for the customers that we want to work with and just become better and better and better and invest and then just build out more and more and more efficiencies within the platform that we're good at. Um, to answer your second question, while I haven't had my own brand, between my partner and I, uh, and since we started the agency, we've helped brands uh, amass over $10 million in more additional sales uh, through the efforts that we put in with them. Um, and we've got case studies to back all that stuff up. So I, I don't think it's imposter syndrome anymore. Like I know what I'm talking about works because we've done it for other businesses that had those KPIs already established that we could then manipulate upon and make some awesome decisions with them to help them grow their businesses. Right. I mean, well, and, th and that's what I thought too. Of It's always nice to hear people when they say that be too, because when you get into podcasting or like, what's that point of view, right? Of you have to start somewhere and because you're an agency and the, my company is a service provider, all those kinds of things, they help you people scale at, at, you know, different levels. So that's why I always ask, do, do people still have that? Is that still a thing? And I, and I think to a point people still feel, I don't think that's a bad question. I think it's a reflective question of there's always more to continuously learn, 
Um, but the best way to do it is just to do it again, whether it's on behalf of other people or do it yourself or your own brand, I think it's really an admirable thing to do. And that's where a lot of people are just doing on a day-to-day basis, um, as well. So maybe more of like, a, a not a hypothetical question, but do you, do you think it's more because of the moves that Shopify is making with its, uh, ties into uh, social buying, um, for example, now you can buy directly through TikTok via uh, Shopify, um, you can have a store and it can be purchased directly in app without leaving the platform. I believe it's still um, with Shopify and all of its networks of how it can tie into social selling and the customizations and everything like that. Do you ever think that it will compete to the point where it not overtakes, but it becomes the go-to platform other than Amazon? Does that make sense? Like I know the two, uh, they continuously get compared to each other, but do you think that there'll be more people on Shopify when it's all said and done, whenever that is than Amazon, or do you think the two have just their own spaces? They, they really are their own separate entities and worlds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the latter that it, they, while Shopify is building out an amazing, you know, rich integration, you know, all this functionality that they can do, it, it isn't Shopify isn't, you know, also supplying you with customers. That's the big, key differentiator here is when you get on Amazon, your product can get put in front of as many eyes as you can kind of make happen because you're not ever going to own that customer relationship. That's Amazon's customer. You're just, you know, you're just borrowing it to sell your product and giving them a cut. Whereas on Shopify, they're not supplying you the customer. You're fronting all the costs, but you get a hundred percent of the reward. So it's a two, it's two completely different types of kind of platforms to get on. Um, I think that Shopify is or will be extremely soon the number one e-commerce platform. I think still, I think it is. Uh, so like, if you are gonna go that route of direct consumer first, like, I think Shopify is already in the lead on, on in that regard. So um, that is kind of an answer to your question. But then I do want right. to kind of circle back to something that you said earlier when you're you're talking about this like concept of imposter syndrome. I never get imposter syndrome when I am discussing how to help a brand grow. I know for a fact we can do it and we've done it way too many times, right? I'm almost cocky in that regard. Uh, but I get imposter syndrome about other funny stuff. Like uh, sometimes I'll get on a podcast and I'm not quite in the right headspace. And I'm like, I, why are people listening to what I have to say? Or, you know, sometimes when I'm, when it's, when there's like a stage involved, that makes me feel weird. Or, you know, you'll end up in random situations where you're talking uh, to random people kind of in the in a business sense and you're like how the heck did i end up in this room like you know so that that always right. exists at every level uh but then you know i kind of just look back on the track record and, and the cool stuff that we've done it's like wait i deserve to be here i know exactly what i'm talking about well absolutely and that, that, that's kind of the point i was leaning to it's not for lack of hey everyone by the way if you haven't already figured it out that i think chase is a fraud that's not what i'm saying it's a <laughs> it's more of like hey how, how do we how do we feel like um you know there's a lot of people out there that that just feel confident in what they have to talk about. And I think to a point, it takes a certain level of time for people to get to that, that notion, if you will. Um, and, and people get there quicker than other people. So when, when you're on, a, when you have your own podcast or you are a guest on uh, shows or you are on stage in front of thousands of people that that can hit you in different ways, whether it's um, again, you're in the comfort of your own home behind a microphone and there's no cameras, of course you can talk and speak as much as you want. Uh, but when it gets out in front 
face to face in front of a client, do you get that sense of like nervousness? Like they'll see my face or there, there's something that they'll pick up and they're like, what is this guy talking about? I think that's more what you were trying to, to trying to allude to um, in that regard. So at least that's how I, how I view it as well. Um, got only a few minutes left before uh, I know I've taken so much of your time already. I want to kind of dive into uh, honesty commerce because I think it's so fascinating. We are talking pre-show about your podcast and its latest episode. You, what was kind of the the genesis behind it? Like who got who got you started with that? I, I'm I'm really curious um, how you got into that and maybe why you got into that. If um, as, as a time uh, like a time, you invest so much time and effort, and I, I can see it on your website, um, and we linked out to it. But what made you get into that kind of amplified marketing? Yeah. Oh, all right. So let me try to distill down a marketing. <laughs> strategy into five minutes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when you run a service business, you run an agency. Uh, everyone take notes on this because this is the real truth. You're going to need three systems to scale your business uh, from a marketing and sales perspective. You're going to be you're going to need something for inbound leads. You're going to need something for outbound. And then you're going to need a referral network that's built off of partnerships. Right. So uh, this one is strictly inbound. This is the content play that we do at the agency is the podcast specifically because A, I hate writing. And B, I'm not good at anything else, right? I'm really good at talking. So uh, my project manager actually made me start the podcast. He's like, Chase, you know a bunch of people. Go interview them. Let's start a podcast. Let's get this done. Uh, Annette Grant helped me a lot with getting started. She was my co-host for the first couple dozen episodes. Um, and after we really got things off the ground and I started to really actually believe in what they were telling me, uh, we really started to double down on the podcast uh, as an outreach kind of mechanism uh, to meet new cool people and also to produce content like um, content really works it it, it is uh, this isn't like a conversation about content marketing but like within kind of your inbound strategy you need some sort of thought leadership and content authority and a podcast solves both those problems and then some um, so that's why we went all in on a podcast amazing well I I, I think it's fantastic and you can obviously hear it. Um, we linked that to it in the show notes and the links in the comments section. Uh, I believe it's just what e-commerce, uh, uh, honestecommerce.com, correct? That, that's .co. It? I, I've been trying yeah, to buy that the .com for four years. Uh, but it's probably like $20,000, right? No, it's some crazy. guy they... who actually lives in Ohio and he just won't respond to my emails anymore. Oh. That's a, uh, <laughs> I hate people who sit on just websites like that. And it's just, you know, no one, no one, they don't want to sell it. They don't want to do anything with it, but um, I, I guess like because my final question, um, and thanks for sharing that, by the way, uh, what's kind of your take on like the rest of the year? Um, is there something you guys are seeing on an agency level that maybe like either concerns you or excites you for your Q4? What, what's kind of that that notion or those couple thoughts that come to mind um, when thinking about Q4 this year? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this long enough that uh, we just understand what is about to happen with Q4. So we historically reach out to all of our clients well, kind of at the beginning of Q3. And we're like, Q4 is next. We're talking about Q4 marketing right now. Like we are, we are, we force them to start talking about it like way prior to it. So then when we go into Q4, we have like a holiday success plan already in place. We know what everyone's doing. We've div divide and conquer, and they're going to have you know they're going to have the support that they need. Um, so as an agency, we are extremely prepared, uh, probably more prepared than we ever have been. Um, that's just because we want to be able to help our clients do cool stuff. Um, outside of that, 
you know, Q4 is about to be wild. You got the whole, like people are saying there's going to be another ship issue with, with shipping and lead times. You already see the issues with, uh, supply chain. People can't get the products that they want. So if they don't have the products to sell, then they're not going to have the Q4s that they wanted. Uh, so there's going to be some really interesting stuff that goes on this year with Q4. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're prepared for it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more busy than the rest of the year. Uh, but that's just kind of the name of the game in e-commerce and we're, we're prepared and we're ready to help. Absolutely. We're, uh, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting to see what happens with shipping and cost of goods. I know shipping has been announced by all major carriers across the board that it, there's going to be increase in costs. So, um, everyone's buckling up and, and waiting, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see if that has a true major impact, um, negatively, or if it's kind of a flat line or there's still growth, no matter what people are still going to buy. I think my prediction, if you will, is the earlier the shopping is going to happen. Like now is the time people are actually still looking for their Christmas gifts and their, their holiday gifts, if you will. Um, they're not going to wait until that last second. I don't think there's going to be so much last second. Um, but obviously there's, there's tips and tricks you can do to capitalize on those people as well. I just don't think there'll be as many as in years past. Chase, thanks so much again. I know I've already taken up about an hour of your time today, but for people who are need to connect with you, they, they want to, they want to find a ways to work with you or just learn more about what you have to say. Uh, we, we, we just scratched the surface. I feel like if you will, what, what are those ways that they can connect with you? Yeah, if you uh, feel like your business, uh, you know, is at a point where you want to talk to a qualified partner to help you kind of get to the next level, we can kind of run through this brand scaling framework together and figure that all out. You can uh, reach out at electriceye.io, schedule an intro call and chat with the team and, and see kind of what's going on there. Or if you just uh, enjoy my opinions on e-commerce or you want to hear more uh, like founder stories is kind of what... I like to do on our podcast. I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and kind of about their journey and, and how they did it. Um, you can check out honestecommerce.co and subscribe to the podcast over there. Awesome. Well, again, I'm, I'm already a subscriber and, and fan of the show too. It's it's an amazing website. It's beautifully done. So whoever's doing that for you, um, they deserve a raise or pat on the back or um, all the above. Whatever. If that's yourself, then give yourself a raise. Then it all oh, works yeah. out in your favor. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Chase, thanks so much. You've been kind with your time. Now, friend of the show um, here at Crossover Commerce. Um, you know, thanks so much for hopping on and uh, just lending some of your time and insights. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Again, thanks, Chase. Again, thanks to everyone else who is listening and watching live here on Crossover Commerce. This is episode 164 of My Corner of the Internet. Again, thanks to Chase Clymer of Electric Eye. Um, as well as e-commerce, honest e-commerce. Um, again, you can check out all those links in the comments and the show notes below. And if you're listening to us, go ahead and give this episode um, a favorable rating. If you don't like it, what you heard, or if you you just say, hey, the host sucks or anything like that, go ahead and let me know. Um, you can follow me on social media. Um, or if you have other guests in mind that you might think that would be good for this format, go ahead and just send them my way. We'll make sure we connect and uh, have them on and share their insights as well. But that being said, it's always been fun to share some time with you, um, the listener, as well as our guests we bring on the show. Um, you can listen to all of our episodes again at usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast and listen to them on your favorite podcast destinations. That being said, I'm Ryan Kramer. I'm the host of Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.